Our communion meditation is from the book of Micah. I'll read Micah 6, verses 1 through 8. Hear now what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaint, and you strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a complaint against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you, and how have I wearied you? Testify against me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Balak king of Moab counseled, and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him, from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself down before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. It is a gift to us that keeps giving uh, throughout our lives. We ask you to open our minds that we would also uh, set our wills upon obedience. We thank you, Lord, for your kindness to us, for this gift to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This text, I'll comment on verses 6 through 8, and it has to do with satisfying God. And so we know that God has no needs, that God is entirely apart from us, exists entirely without our care, without anything from us, and yet... Mankind throughout all time has been, I would say, obsessed with satisfying God, with trying to please Him. Satisfying God or the gods. Many cultures would say the gods. And so what this points out is that nearly all cultures throughout all time have always acknowledged the existence of God. It's really only in recent times that there has been any concerted effort to deny the reality that there is a God. A way in which people tended to serve God was through sacrifice, animal sacrifice primarily. And yet offering uh, vegetation is also quite common. And ultimately, human sacrifice. Witch doctors, if you've read biographies of Christians, missionaries throughout the world, you know what they've had to face in their attempting to minister to pagan cultures. You go into these cultures and they already have an established religion that you are essentially attacking by bringing the Word of God and Christianity into their culture. And so who you are coming up against is typically the most powerful person in that society, the witch doctor. 
And the witch doctor doesn't want you messing with what he's doing. He is the connection to God in that community. And he has an awful lot of power. And as I reflected on this, it appears to me that witch doctors are kind of like modern governments, or I guess maybe always any civil government. When the witch doctor fails to be that successful intermediary between his people and God, when storms come, when these natural disasters come, what does he do then? Does he admit failure? No. No. He demands more from you, from the people. You've done something to mess it up, not him. Civil government's much the same way. And so they both behave like tyrants. They both insist on the fact that we must go through them to get to God. This is a rhetorical question that we're asked in verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord? With what shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before the high God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? And so there are these answers, rhetorical answers, to this rhetorical question. Is this what we are to do? Is this how we are to placate God or God's? And you could see the escalation from calves a year old to thousands to tens of thousands. You could see that there is this frenzy of activity to placate this angry God. And they're not altogether wrong. We know God brings judgment in time and history. We know God judges wickedness and wicked nations. But look at what it, it starts with in verse 8. He has shown you. We sing this song a lot. You know this song. He has shown you, O man. What has he shown us? I ask you. If you were to be asked that question, what would you say? What has God shown you? In answer to this rhetorical question, given these five possibilities, it's not one of those, right? It's something else, but what is it? What would you say? He has shown you, O man. In other words, we should know the answer to this question. And this is not in the New Testament. This was written around the time of Isaiah writing. This is before the destruction of Israel and Judah. And Micah is saying, he has shown you already. And yet you refuse to believe. Phil and Kathy attended at Covenant College, and I still remember this from Dr. Krabendam. He's shared it a few times. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. That's what God has shown us. That's what he's shown all of us. That's what he's shown us throughout all time. That our hearts are wicked. That we don't want to truly please God in the manner in which he must be pleased. 
not only do we often not want to, but even if we do want to, we can't. And that's aggravating to us. That's aggravating to the witch doctor and his people. That it's not within our control to placate this God that can snuff us out with the next earthquake, the next tornado, the next hurricane, the next tsunami, whatever it is that can easily snuff us out. There are two common errors in this text, both of which are clearly portrayed here. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the Most High God? And so then you give these, these possible answers. And so one of them, one of the common errors is that mere outward conformity. All you have to do is this or this or this or this. It doesn't have to come anywhere near your heart. You just have to fulfill these things, dot, 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 dot. People love this. People love tasks to accomplish, checking the boxes. Today, I'm going to check the boxes, and then I'm going to be right with God. It's so simple. That's the first error. That's the basic answer. That, that is the error that I don't think most of us would do, but we all will do it from time to time. But it's not the more common one that we would face. I believe it is the common one in our society at large. But even in the church, even amongst the faithful, there is this second error that we will all commit. And we commit it a lot. Let me read this to you. This is from a commentator on this text. I beseech you, take these words and test your daily life by them. God requires me to do justly. Does there not rise before my memory many an act in which in regard to persons, in regard to circumstances, I have fallen beneath that requirement? He requires me to love mercy. He requires me to walk humbly. And I have often been inflated and self-conceited and presumptuous. He requires me to walk with himself. And I have shaken away his hand from me and passed whole days without ever thinking of him. So see, this is the second error that's so common, even amongst us. That we think it's within our control to do these three things to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. And it's not. It's not within your control. You can't do that. Not successfully. Not as successfully as we must to be right with God. So see, this command is no more attainable than the former command to be right with God through sacrifice, through the 10,000 rivers of oil that he would require. So what is the thing then? What is it that's so obvious? He has shown you, oh man, that we cannot please or placate or satisfy our God in our sinful state. And we will always be in that sinful state. So see, we cannot do what God commands, and yet God can through us. 
So all of our failures tend to begin with us thinking we can do something apart from God, and yet we can't. You can do nothing apart from God. The unfrenzied path to peace with God is right through God. The power of His Spirit in us satisfying His demands, leading us to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with Him. And so when we come to the table, that's exactly what we're doing. We are admitting that apart from God, we can't do what He requires. It is only, it is only His to fulfill through us. So as we bow our heads and pray and as we come to the table, let's be reminded that there are two errors here, one of which we fall prey to quite regularly. And don't do it. Go to God each day. Learn to walk with God. Learn to cast all of your cares upon Him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You. We thank You for the fact that Your Word is so clear to us, and yet we refuse to see. There are many hypocrites in this world that view You as just a gumball machine. Put it in, put in the coins, put in the works, and out comes Your blessings. We know that is not true. And yet, Lord, too often we take the other path, the other path of error, and we ask you to awaken us to the awareness that we must know you. We must repent of our sins. We must cast aside all of our cares and anxiety. Then you will acknowledge that we are yours when we admit that we cannot do this in our own strength. We thank you, Father. You lead and guide and direct. Your Holy Spirit lives within us to fulfill your, your law's commands, and we praise you for this. Lord, strengthen us with this meal today. Draw us close to yourself, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.